Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download. Good evening, everyone. We are awaiting a press conference from the NYPD any minute to update us on the Brooklyn subway shooting. Where this morning, a man wearing a gas mask threw a smoke canister and opened fire aboard a moving subway train during rush hour. 16 people were injured, including 10 people shot. The horrific incident occurred in Sunset Park, home to the neighborhood known as Brooklyn's Chinatown and a large Latino population as well. It comes as new crime figures show a 36 percent increase in major crimes in New York and a 16 percent spike in shootings over the past year. Tack on a low subway ridership, transit crime and attacks on Asian-Americans on subways, all fueling the anxiety that New York is returning to its crime ridden bad old days. It's also happening while we're in the midst of a Supreme Court case that challenges New York's requirement that a person show proper cause to secure an unrestricted license to publicly carry a concealed handgun. Meaning, if the court strikes down this law, this could mean more guns and more violence, including on the subways. Let's bring in NBC News correspondent Jesse Kirsch, who is at NYU Langone Hospital in Brooklyn. Jesse, what is the latest? And I will just warn you, we are waiting for this press conference. I hope I don't have to rudely interrupt you. But tell us what you are uh, looking at right now. No. All good, Joy. And, you know, obviously we're monitoring uh, several developments ourselves looking at that news conference and just got word from our team uh, back at headquarters that uh, the governor of New York's uh, chief of staff, her team, tweeting out a photo of the governor on the subway tonight. So uh, officials here in New York are trying to protect, project, obviously, that there, there is an element of safety here. There is an element of calm, but they are still looking for the person responsible for this attack. And just to put this into context for people who aren't familiar with the New York subway system, aren't familiar with New York City, uh, a lot of people rely on the subway to get around in this city. People who are going to work, children who are going to school. In fact, I talked with some teens this morning who were heading to work and wound, or sorry, who were heading to school and wound up having to get off the train. Uh, thankfully, they are okay and we're on another train, not the train that was under attack. But that just gives you a sense of how many people rely on those trains in the morning hours around when this happened at 830. And this train was headed for Midtown Manhattan. The latest information we have on the injured, we are at NYU Langone Hospital. We know 21 people were brought to this hospital. There are other hospitals that had patients treated as well. So in all, we know of at least 29 people who were injured. At this point, everyone is expected to be okay. The the injuries include uh, smoke inhalation as well as gunshot wounds. Again, everyone is alive, expected to be okay. And at this point, authorities are trying to find the person responsible. Uh, the latest information we have on that front is that Authorities are eyeing a U-Haul vehicle here in Brooklyn. We are right now about a 10-minute drive from where this shooting scene happened, and about half an hour, within half an hour of where we are right now, is where this U-Haul vehicle uh, has been isolated by police. So we're trying to find out more information about how that all ties into this. But again, at this point, the suspect is not in custody at last word from police. And we also understand that there was an issue with some surveillance video at the train station. So that might have inhibited the investigation in the early going. But thankfully, no one was killed in this attack. And at this point, we're trying to get more information from authorities as to who is responsible and why they may have done this. But at this point, the last word we had from the NYPD commissioner is that she does not believe that this is an act of terrorism. So we're trying to get more information. And again, officials here trying to 
project that there is a, a level of safety here tonight. And you can see here at the hospital, it is a calm scene, but certainly people are questioning why this happened, how this could happen, and what will happen moving forward to keep people safe, because this is just the latest of several high-profile incidents on the subways in New York, Joy. Jesse Kirsch, thank you very much. Really appreciate you. With me now, Mark Claxton, retired NYPD detective and director of the Black Law Enforcement Alliance, and Frank Figluzzi, former assistant director for counterintelligence for the FBI and an MSNBC national security analyst. And Mark, you know, one of the other things that those who of us who are familiar with the New York subway system, and I rode that for a very long time, um, is that it's also one of the most surveilled um, passageways in the country. It's one of the largest transit systems, if not the largest in the entire country, if not in the world. But it's also got CCTV cameras everywhere. Um, and so I'm wondering, from your point of view as a former law enforcement officer and also from Frank's point of view, it, are you surprised that there's actually not more video evidence? Because we know that all gets routed into one police plaza. And in real time, police officers can really start to go through that footage. I actually think, Joy, that there is uh, much more uh, video evidence or or some uh, um uh, some video items that is available through uh, the NYPD's domain awareness system. I think what's been released so far deals specifically with the immediate area and perhaps some of the difficulties in obtaining a video from inside that particular subway station. But with that domain awareness system, uh, that includes a network of cameras uh, throughout the city, tens of thousands of cameras, some of them owned by the NYPD, others are privately owned, but the NYPD has access to those video feeds. And then when you add in uh, so many of the license plate readers and, and other databases that are available to obtain information, you know, at the spur of the moment, there are significant and substantive uh, uh, items that the uh, police department has to, oh, to start its investigation. I'm going to stop you, Mark, because it looks like this press conference is beginning. We're going to listen in and here they go. We're here to provide an update on the ongoing investigation into the shooting that occurred earlier today in Brooklyn. We're going to hear from Police Commissioner of the City of New York, Keyshawn Sewell, uh, Chief of Department Ken Corey, we have First Deputy Commissioner Ed Caban here, Chief of Detectives James Essig will update us on the investigation. Uh, we also have Assistant Director in Charge of the FBI, in charge of the New York office, Mike Driscoll, um, and the JTTF efforts with the NYPD that are ongoing, as well as the special agent in charge of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, uh, John DeVito. But we'll begin with word from Gracie Manchin from the mayor of the city of New York, Eric Adams. He's talking. He's talking, but we cannot hear the mayor.
thank you all for your patience. Uh, we're having an audio difficulty, so what we're going to do is regroup here. Uh, we're going to talk to the police commissioner, and when we resolve the audio problem, we'll bring the mayor back. That's progress. Okay. Thank you all for attending this evening and helping us get this information out to the public. It's so important. We are truly fortunate that this was not significantly worse than it is. As we reported this afternoon, a man who was traveling on a Manhattan-bound N train opened two canisters that dispensed smoke throughout the subway car. He then shot multiple passengers as the train pulled into the 36th Street Station in Sunset Park. Ten people were injured by gunfire, and an additional 13 were either uh, injured as the, they rushed to get out of the train station or they suffered smoke inhalation. Some good news is that none of the injuries appear to be life-threatening. As detectives processed the crime scene, they recovered a 9mm semi-automatic handgun, extended magazines, and a hatchet. Also found is a liquid we believe to be gasoline and a bag containing consumer-grade fireworks and a hobby fuse. About an hour ago, detectives located a U-Haul van in Brooklyn that we believe is connected to the suspect. At this time, we still do not know the suspect's motivation. Clearly, this individual boarded the train and was intent on violence. We are conducting a highly coordinated investigation that includes NYPD detectives, the FBI-NYPD Joint Terrorism Task Force, and the ATF, who have been instrumental in tracing the firearm and ballistics. The suspect is a dark-skinned male and was wearing a neon orange vest and a gray-colored sweatshirt. We do have a person of interest in this investigation, but we need the public assistance with additional information. We're asking anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. We know this incident is of grave concern to New Yorkers. We cannot lose sight of victims in this city. We will use every resource we can to bring those to justice who continue to prey on the citizens of New York. I'll ask Chief James Essek to come in and give details of the investigation. Good evening, everybody. Today at 8.24 a.m., aboard a Manhattan-bound N-train, 10 people were shot, seven males, three females, and they were remo removed to area hospitals. An additional 13 people suffered injuries related to smoke inhalation, falling down, or a panic attack. The information I'm about to give you is preliminary, and it's subject to change right now. As that end train was between stations 59th Street and the 36th Street stations, seated in the second car in the rear corner was a dark-skinned male. Various descriptions of his height are given. He is heavy set, wearing an orange-green nylon-type construction vest. He also had on a gray hoodie, a surgical mask, and a neon green construction helmet. As the train approached the 36th Street station, witnesses state the male opened up two smoke grenades, tossed them on the subway floor, brandishes a Glock 9mm handgun, he then fired that weapon 
at least 33 times, striking 10 people. The male then fled the scene, and detectives are actively trying to determine his whereabouts. Recovered at that scene was a Glock 17 9mm handgun, three extended Glock-type magazines. One was still in the weapon, one under a seat, and one in a backpack. We had 33 discharged shell casings, 15 bullets, five bullet fragments, two detonated smoke grenades, two non-detonated smoke grenades, a hatchet, a black garbage can, a black milk-type style rolling cart, the gasoline, and a U-Haul key. The U-Haul key at the scene led us to the recovery of a U-Haul van a short while ago in Brooklyn. The male, who we believe is the renter of this U-Haul in Philadelphia, is a Frank R. James, male 62 years old, with addresses in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. We are endeavoring to locate him to determine his connection to the subway shooting, if any. The two crime scenes, the subway and the van, are very active and are still being processed. We are asking for anyone's help with information, cell phone video, witness information, or any, if they can identify the perpetrator or the renter of this vehicle, to call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-577-TIPS. There is a $50,000 reward out right now. 25,000 from the New York City Police Foundation, 12,500 from the MTA, and 12,500 from the TWA Local 100. I just want to assure everyone that we in the NYPD have all our resources working this, along with our partners in the FBI and the ATF, to find this perpetrator. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Mike Driscoll. We're going to oh, oh, go the mayor? back to okay. the mayor. Uh, okay. Mr. Mayor, we're ready for you. Thank you, uh, Commissioner and, and Chief. As we indicated, uh, today was a difficult day for New York. And days like these are playing out too often in cities across America. As mentioned this morning, we witnessed an act of violence and evil in the heart of Brooklyn, where shooter attacked a subway car full of innocent people at the 36th Street Station. We saw a quiet Tuesday morning turn the entry into a war zone as a smoke bomb was detonated and multiple shots rang out. We witnessed 20 individuals have been injured so far, as it was mentioned. And thanks to the quick thinking of the MTA crew, and the bravery and cooperation of passengers, lives were saved. And thanks to our first responders, the injured were quickly taken to area hospitals, and all of them expected to recover. You know, I have been realistic and outspoken about my commitment to protecting public safety. I stand by that and will continue to do everything in my power to dam the rivers that feed the sea of violence. But this is not only a New York City problem. This rage, this violence, these guns, these relentless shooters are an American problem. And it's going to take all levels of government to solve it. 
It is going to take the entire nation to speak out and push back against the cult of death that has taken hold in this nation, a cult that allows innocents to be sacrificed on a daily basis. A country with buying weapons of mass destruction is as easy as picking up a piece of plywood or a garden shovel. A country where there are more guns than people. There are over 400 million guns in this country alone. The U.S. gun homicide rate is 26 times that of other high-income countries, where over 100 people die in gun violence every day. Guns are the leading cause of death for American children and teens, like the 16-year-old baby we lost in the Bronx. From schools in Columbine, Sandy Hook, and Virginia, to music festivals in Las Vegas, to nightclubs in Orlando, to movie theaters and yoga classes across the nation. These killers have used weapons of mass destruction to massacre innocent people. They control no armies or military forces, yet these individual killers terrorize our nation. I have often said that this city is not going to adapt to dysfunction. Ending gun violence means changing gun laws. We cannot clean up a flood when the water is still pouring into the basement. And we can never stop the killing if we cannot stop the guns. To be clear, we will not surrender our city to the violent few, and we will not surrender all of America to this cult of death. The sea of violence comes from many rivers. We must dam every river that feeds the greater crisis. That is the work of my life, this administration, and this police department. I will not stop until the peace we deserve becomes the reality we experience. You have my word as a former police officer, a fellow New Yorker, and your mayor, that we will end this epidemic, and that will capture the individual responsible for today's attack. We will capture him and prosecute him to the full extent of the law. Thank you, NYPD, FDNY, our first responders, and the collaboration from the federal government the state, the city agencies. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I'd like to turn it over to Assistant Special Agent in Charge of the FBI in New York Office, Michael Driscoll. Thank you, Commissioner. I want to start by expressing our hopes and prayers that the victims of this event will enjoy a quick recovery. They are our primary focus right now. I also want to echo the thanks for the partnership to the NYPD, the ATF, and all the partners who are contributing to this investigation. Right now, the FBI NYPD Joint Terrorism Task Force is fully engaged with this investigation, providing assistance through manpower, technical assistance, and basically everything we can throw at it. We expect the process to be a long one as we gather all possible information to track down all possible leads. And I would encourage you, as it was mentioned earlier, to please reach out to the NYPD tip line at 1-800-577-TIPS. And I would also add, as frequently the case in many of our current investigations, uh, everyone's got a cell phone in their pocket. There's a lot of video out there. If you have digital information that you'd like to share with, with us in connection with this investigation, please visit fbi.gov slash Brooklyn shooting where you can upload that information. So we are seeking the public's help. You heard mentioned before of a name of possible interest. Videos would be particularly helpful or any other additional witnesses who have yet to come forward that can provide information uh, that might help this investigation. 
So thank you for your participation, and I thank everyone for their partnership in the course of the investigation. Thank you. Take a couple of questions. Your question? Yeah, Commissioner Sewell, is it the belief that he fled on foot after abandoning the van, or not? We are not sure where he went at this point. At a subject to investigation, we have a number of resources that are combing on foot and doing video canvases as well to determine where he went. Okay. Post, I'm sorry. Uh, you posted videos online talking about being a victim, victim to the mayor's mental health program. Can you talk to us about this? Do you know the department? So based on some preliminary information, there were some postings possibly connected to our person of interest where he mentions homelessness, he mentions New York, and he does mention Mayor Adams. And as a result of that, in an abundance of caution, we're going to tighten the mayor's security detail. Just to be clear, so this person, Frank James, he's not the person of interest that is in custody at this moment? I don't have an answer to that. We are. We have no one in custody at this time. No. We are looking for Frank James. We know he rented this U-Haul van. The key of that U-Haul van was found at the crime scene in the subway. And Mr. James made those social media posts? We're pouring through that, but yes, correct. And you believe he was the one in the train? Is that correct? We, we are looking to determine if he has any connection to the train. We know Mr. James rented that U-Haul truck in Philadelphia. Robert Mr. James made those threats online that the So we're not calling them threats. He made some concerning posts, or someone made some concerning posts. We cannot attribute it to that individual yet. That's under investigation. But again, in an abundance of caution, we're going to tighten the mayor's security detail. That's all. Rocco, Daily News. Does he have any connection at all to the transit system? Is he team or that is subject to investigation. We don't have that information yet. Does he have a criminal record? Mr. James is just a person of interest we know right now who rented that U-Haul van in Philadelphia. The keys to that U-Haul van were found in the subway in our shooter's possessions. We don't know right now if Mr. James has any connection to the subway. That's still under investigation. Uh, Chief Essek, do you have any what we call robust DNA evidence from the crime scene or van? The crime scene's still being processed now. The van is being processed, and the subway crime scene is being processed. But we, it's too early right now to tell. City, Kenny? Um, can you explain where this U-Haul was located? Was it nearby? And also, um, I know you said um, you're investigating these videos, but can you confirm that it was him in the video or people that he knows? Um, we're just trying to make that connection. The, the video, the YouTube videos and the videos on there there's a man who posted there, Frank James. We're still working to see if that's our person who rented the video. And where was U-Haul located? Uh, Kings Highway in Brooklyn. Kings Highway in what intersection? 30 West 4th and Kings Highway. Is there anything more you can tell us about the content of the posts? And I know you said it wasn't a direct threat against the mayor. Can you tell us anything he said about the mayor that caused you to be There were general uh, topics of concern, and I, I don't want to go into too many details about the mayor's security detail. We're just doing it uh, just to be on the safe side. Complaints about homelessness, complaints about New York, nothing in general. I'm sorry, just 
general comments that caused us some concern that are subject to investigation at this point. Why were there no working surveillance cameras in the station? Why did police radios not work in the station? And how much did those factors hamper this investigation? Yeah, we know that there were three stations that the video wasn't working. We're still investigating that to see why or how those, uh, whether it was a mechanical problem or electrical issue, why those videos weren't up. The there was no issues with police radios. So the reports that uh, for one of the first officers on scene said his radio wasn't working, and he told one of the teenagers there to call 911. Yeah, so patrol officers, so officers who work topside, if you will, in patrol precincts, when they go down the station, they have to switch frequencies. It's a UHF versus VHF. So if they didn't switch the radio over to the, U to the VHF frequency, they would not be able to transmit down in the subway station. So it's user error. It wasn't a problem with the actual radio. Bloomberg News. How many officers are assigned to the 36th Street station, and, and were there any officers in, in, in the station at all? So we, we don't typically assign officers to subway stations. Officers patrol on a rotating basis. They ride trains. They come out. They patrol the stations. Patrol officers from the precincts stop, go down. They do station inspections. We've been doing that since January. So that, that station was patrolled several times today. There were no officers present in the station uh, at the time of the shooting, but it had been patrolled several times on this calendar date prior to the shooting in the early morning hours. Next question. What do we know about Mr. James and his local ties to New York City? Timmy. We know Mr. James, Mr. James has addresses in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. As far as New York, still under investigation. But he's just a person of interest right now in this case. We know the shooter was was entered the station on King's Highway. So we're asking for anybody who knows from King's Highway to 35th Street is eight stops. Anybody who sees him with any information, please call Crime Stoppers. We literally have hundreds of detectives out in the field right now pouring through video at train stations, the egresses, uh, the recovery sites of the vehicle. So we hope to have clearer pictures of who we believe is the shooter. Right, two more questions. CNN? About the weapon that was recovered, has that been traced back to Mr. James at all? And is there any likelihood that, or how, how confident are investigators that he is the same person that pulled the trigger today? Uh, that's... As far as pulling the trigger, that's still under investigation as far as the firearm is concerned. We know it's not part of a multi-sale. We know it's not stolen. We're working with our partners in the ATF to track back to the point of sale and then move forward on that gun. Hey, last question. Your physical description of James, does it match the description that's already been put out today? Uh, uh, again, as I said, we there was two smoke grenades thrown. We have various descriptions of height. I gave the description out of the man with the vest. We're looking through all all possible leads on our person of interest. I, I think if you look at our social media, you'll see two photos of the person of interest. <laughs> all right, thank you very much. Thank you, Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. 
lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. All right. Um, that was the press conference out of New York about this Brooklyn shooting incident that left several people injured. Thankfully, no one was killed in this incident. A few of the details that we saw, you can see there, Frank James has been named as a person of interest. He has been connected to the U-Haul van that is somehow connected to this incident. Um, he has residences, or at least has been traced to residences in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. Person of interest does not mean he is necessarily the suspect, but he is somehow being traced to the vehicle that's been traced to what happened uh, and apparently rented that vehicle. Uh, a few of the other things um, that came out of this um, piece of information, 13 people were injured from smoke inhalation, 10 people were injured by gunfire, um, and the shooter entered at the King's Highway stop and was heading—the train was heading into Manhattan when those shots rang out. Mark Claxton, Frank Figluzzi are back with me. I want to also introduce Nabi Jamali, Newsweek editor-at-large and former FBI double agent. And, Frank, I'm going to go right down the center uh, of, of this screen to you and ask, listening to that, including the uh, Mike Driscoll, who is the uh, FBI uh, man that is in charge uh, of the federal part of this investigation, what did you take from that press conference and the information we heard? Well, uh, so some some positive news, in addition to the fact that there have been no fatalities, this investigation has progressed fairly rapidly. If they find this gentleman who rented the van, it's likely they're going to find uh, the person who was the shooter, if indeed this person of interest is not the shooter. And we need to be very careful. And you saw the officials being very circumspect about saying he's a person of interest. We don't know the connection yet. He could have unwittingly uh, rented a van for somebody. He could have had the van stolen from him. We we simply don't know. We hope he's okay, as a matter of fact. Um, so so we, we've got that. We've also learned that um, there's extended magazines, multiple extended magazines at the scene. What does that mean? In the state of New York, Joy, extended magazines, actually capacity of 10 rounds or more, are illegal. So, you know, here we go with this whole gun discussion and parts discussion and whether individual states should be doing their own thing or whether it should be nationalized in terms of this. But we need to trace that. ATF is going to be looking at that. It's fantastic that the gun has been found. What I'm not hearing is terrorism. What we're seeing mm. is a supportive approach from the FBI. They are not taking a lead on this. They're supporting. That's actually good news in the sense that it's less and less likely right now, at least, that this was about terrorism. Now, my ears perked up on this notion of social media reflecting, and I wasn't quite clear because of uh, it wasn't quite clear technically from hearing. But uh, on social media, some some kind of concerning posts about the mayor or others or New York in general. Something has caused the security detail to be augmented for the New York City mayor. That's what I heard. This guy, this shooter, 
has probably had some kind of grievance that he's brooded or obsessed with over time. We'll see how that plays out. And I, I, my ears perked up on that, too. And we did hear from the mayor, Naveed, um, and he made this statement. He said ending gun violence means changing gun laws. He zeroed in uh, on the 400 million guns um, in this country. Um, and that was a lot of the focus of his uh, his comments once his, his YouTube started to finally work. Um, just give us your sense, what you heard, what you took from it, um, listening to all of these officials talking about this investigation. Well, sure. So for the mayoral race, I mean, one of the big hot button topics was the iron, so-called iron pipeline, right? This idea that getting guns off the streets is harder than it is to perhaps disrupt the flow of firearms, illegal firearms into New York. And look, you know, Joy, there are other states that have far more lax laws in purchasing firearms. And unfortunately, that could be a mechanism for firearms to flow into New York, New York, regardless of how this person of interest or the suspect actually acquired that firearm. There's a clear problem with the proliferation of firearms. And it's clearly something the mayor has talked about in, in, uh, in his campaign. The other thing, just what, what Frank was saying, you know, this idea of social media posts, what I am curious about is if this person of interest was known potentially if he had had grievances and made posts prior to this to the FBI. Look, we saw this in the seaside bombing, right? We saw, we've seen this in the Pulse nightclub, and I'm not insinuating this is terrorism, but we've seen cases in the past where an individual has made threats, has come under suspicion by the FBI or other law enforcement officials. And frankly, because of you know the fact that we're a constitutional country and we have we have rights, uh, there's only so much that law enforcement can surveil someone. And so the big question I am leading with is, was this person known to law enforcement prior to this? Was this a known quantity? And it, it, it appears that there may have been a history here. And so that is the big question going into this that I have. Uh, very quickly, Frank, uh, can you answer that question? I mean, there are we, you and I have talked about this before. You know, when you have these incidents because of the First Amendment, there are only so many there's only so much that law enforcement can do to really legally surveil people. There have been some big issues with um, what seems to be like pretty openly, you know, anti First Amendment surveillance of Muslim communities and other communities in the past in New York. But there are some limits as to what even if somebody is known to be egregious on social media can be done at the federal level. Right. Yeah, I think I hope we've all done a part in dispelling kind of this public myth that the FBI or Big Brother government is watching everybody's emails, monitoring everybody's chat simply isn't happening. Now, the question Naveed is raising is not that was his chat monitored or supposed to, but did somebody report him or did mm. he actually come on the radar screen officially? And I can assure you the names are being traced right now in indices in various agencies, the law enforcement agencies to say, have we ever encountered this guy of interest or anybody he knows? Is anything that looks like this in our records at all? That's going to come under scrutiny. Yeah, indeed. And Mark, let me bring you back in here because, you know, there are a lot of questions. Even my, my, my kids who live in New York were, were texting me this morning. I mean, the idea that the cameras weren't working in that subway station. If anybody has seen the increase in fares in New York since when I was their age and my kids who are now in their 20s, it's astronomical. The amount of money it costs to go uh, to get on that, those subway trains, the amount of money that's poured into those subways systems. The idea that the cameras wouldn't be working seems outrageous to folks, but I won't make you comment on that. But the idea also that there is this perception in a lot of these communities that there's a lot of cops on the train. There are a lot of police there that are watching fair jumpers, etc. But there weren't any officers deployed inside the subways. Explain kind of how that, you know, how the deployment of police actually works in the real world. 
I think one of the police officials actually touched on that, and and uh, when he clearly indicated that there weren't uh, in the police in, police officers assigned to the particular subway station, but rather police officers are in and out of the subway station checking on a regular basis. And I know part of the mayor's uh, uh, plan and blueprint plan has been to increase the number of patrols in the various subway stations throughout the system. So you have police officers who are assigned to transit, who will be patrolling the entire system. You also have police officers who are up top, as, as, as they indicate on the streets, who will then go down into the subway systems and, and, and do campuses and patrol as well. So there is a healthier complement of police uh, throughout the system now as a result of this most recent anti-crime initiative that Mayor Adams has uh, instituted. Yeah. And to, to stay with you for a second, Mark, because this this particular community, Sunset Park, you know, it is known as Brooklyn's Chinatown. We have seen these spikes in anti-Asian uh, violence against Asian communities, um, you know, particularly through the Trump era and pinning the pandemic on people of color, what the former president did. So we've seen a lot of these really painful incidents. So this particular community has dealt with a lot of that. And, and I wonder if it surprises you that there haven't been more deployments of police and of protection, because a lot of those incidents happened on the subways, specifically in communities that have large Asian-American populations. I, th I think there are units within the police department currently that, that are addressing the issues that deal with bias-related crimes, and they have uh, increased resources themselves. But I think the primary focus in the city right now is 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 less on bias-related crimes and those violent crimes that uh, there are statistical increases in. I think the world, the nation is looking at the New York City and, and how they handle, address, or at least pay attention to these issues of violence, particularly gun violence. And I think that's why the mayor's statements uh, appeared to be more uh, geared toward a national audience than just New York City. It wasn't about just the response right now in New York to this particular case. It was more responsive about uh, how we deal as a nation with the issues of gun possession and how we handle violence, a uh, violent crime that involves uh, guns. Yeah, indeed. And David, I mean, clearly, you know, gun violence is not a New York City specific issue. It is all over the country. And typically, New York City has been the safest big city in America for a very, very long time. And the dramatic reductions in crime have come, you know, for better or for worse. Some, some mayors have used some pretty questionable tactics to try to in decrease gun violence. And some of those are being brought back by Mayor Adams. But I wonder if you, if you, you know, can you comment on this? Because we have seen increases in violent crime, not just in New York City, but in a lot of cities since the pandemic. And I'm wondering if if there's, you know, a way that this investigation can also focus on that. There have been a lot of mental health related issues that are tied to this violence, including violence against Asian-Americans. And I'm wondering if the response of these big cities has been sufficient, given all of those different factors. Yeah, well, let's just I want to bifurcate just one thing here. The, the idea that necessarily mental illness is connected to violence. I don't want to stigmatize. And we know, don't know health, that but, that's even right. Yeah, we don't even absolutely. know that any of that is the case. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and but I do want to say that clearly when it comes to mental health and mental illness during the pandemic, we saw things like uh, availability of medications, availability of clinics, just not being able to take people because they were closed because of the pandemic. And that clearly to some degree 
had a spike in in crime in the sense that there were people who needed medication, just in many cases simply couldn't get it. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case here, but there is this larger problem with mental health in this country. And I think, you know, we're talking about homelessness. This is apparently this person of interest is part of his grievance. It is worth discussing mental illness. And look, uh, Mayor Adams has made it, you know, one of the challenges for policing in the modern, you know, modern cities today is how to separate mental health, how to, and how to tackle crime and not to criminalize mental health. And this is a real, real problem. So, I do think it's important to bifurcate that. But you're right. There has been a spike. And, and part of it, I think, is, you know, uh, look, the fact that people have been locked down. When I was in Seattle, you know, the one night that there was uh, sort of this release, we saw the, the the springing forth of the chop. So there is this part that I think is connected to this lockdown mentality. I don't want to say that there's, you know, a connection to some some larger issue here. But we've also seen a spike in, in Asian American, you know, uh, uh, crimes, hate crimes. So there's all these things that come up. And mental health has always been the sort of thing that's pretty stayed constant. And there's never really been a good investment in this country in increasing mental health services. And clearly, one of the questions that Mayor Adams is going to have to tackle is what is going to be the role for the NYPD in addressing mental health? And it's going to be an ongoing challenge, I think, for Mayor Adams. And it's been a challenge for police, Mark, to deal with mental health. It's not been a strength <laughs> of law enforcement. Yeah. I'm not just talking about it in New York. Can I, can I just add to that and, and just say yeah. it's, it's interesting that we're talking about that particular area because part of uh, one of the anti-crime initiatives directed in the subway system in New York by Mayor Adams is the incorporation of not only social workers uh, along with the, you know, embedded with the police officers, but mental health professionals and other some other social services in an attempt to make a significant outreach uh, to those individuals who are either homeless on the subway stations or involved in other activities there. So that is, in fact, a part of the current ongoing uh, anti-crime strategy directed in the subway system. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark Claxton, Frank Figluzzi, Naveed Jamali, they're going to all three stick around. And up next on The Readout, much more on today's breaking news out of Brooklyn, which is reminding a lot of New Yorkers of a different era when crime on the subway was rampant. The Readout continues after this. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. When New Yorkers of a certain age talk about the bad old days, they're often talking about the 1970s and 80s, a very different era for the now glittering and largely gentrified metropolis of today. The city was besieged by poverty and teetering on bankruptcy. Times Square, which today looks like a digital Disneyland, was the epicenter of the sex industry. While in the late 1970s, serial killer David Berkowitz, known as the Son of Sam, terrorized the city, killing six people and injuring at least seven others along the way. The subways were different and looked different, too, tagged with graffiti, filled with character, yes, but also with grime and 
a heavy police presence. There was a grit, but also a sense of danger. Crack cocaine and heroin infested the city, driving the crime rate even higher, with much of that crime occurring on the subways, as noted in this clip from NBC Nightly News in 1985. The New York subway system, the Bernard Getz case, the subway shooter, has given the subways fresh notoriety. To many outsiders, even to many who live here, this is an area where fear prevails. In case you missed it, Tom Brokaw referred to the subway shooter known as Bernard Getz. He was also known as the subway vigilante after shooting and injuring four young black men on a train in Manhattan after Getz said they were trying to rob him. This was a huge case that garnered international attention. One of those teens was permanently paralyzed, but Getz was still acquitted of four attempted murder charges and convicted only of carrying an unlicensed handgun. He served eight months in prison, eight months. New York eventually climbed out of that difficult era for many reasons, from falling unemployment in the 1990s to shifting patterns of drug use and also gun control. New York State and New York City today have some of the strictest rules for gun ownership in the country. And fast forward to literally today when panic on the New York City subway brought back those bad old memories. Mark Claxton, Frank Figluzzi and Mark uh, uh, and uh, Navi Jamali are all still with me. And Mark, I want to go to you because, you know, I, I am I'm old enough to remember some of that of that era. Um, I moved back uh, as a teenager in the 1980s. I was OK. Obviously, I was two years old, but I moved back and I somewhat remember for whatever reason. <laughs> But I mean, the 1980s was different. Getting on the subways, I remember going up to see my godmother in the Bronx. There was a different vibe and a different kind of fear. There was a lot more open drug use. You would see the heroin man leaning over. You thought he was going to fall off the L train. And there just was a certain more dangerous sense that the men who would try to rub up on you in the train. You had so many more dangers, as, especially as a young woman. And, 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 you know, there was a lot of work put into making New York safe and making New York safer. And one of the big changes were the gun laws. And it is all the way illegal to have a firearm, an open firearm in New York City, except for a few um, instances. So what do you make of the fact that we are now seeing this sort of spasm of gun violence to the point where that is, in a way, what elected uh, the current mayor, Eric Adams? Well, first off, Joy, let me just say that I remember all of that era. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and thanks for making me feel. Uh, you were four uh, and, and I was two. Problem. We're going to work that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I joined the police department in, in 1985 there, so uh, that kind of gives you an indication of, of of my age. But it was a, a different time, a, a very different time, a significant shift. We were right at the beginning of, of somewhat of a shift in the approach to uh, policing, if you will. Uh, the climate, the, the tone and tenor of the city was vastly different. Uh, tolerance was, you know, very different. Police enforcement at that time, at that point, uh, was significantly less. Uh, it was right at the time where I joined the police department moving into the 90s where there became a shift to become more proactive and much more aggressive styles of policing. And that's when you ran into the, the more of the complications when you dealt mm -hmm. with issues of constitutional protections and rights, etc. There was a period of time when, at least on paper, uh, gun possession had mandatory minimums. But the reality of it, and I remember this time specifically, I was in anti-crime in Harlem uh, for a period of time as well before leading into a narcotics division. Um, it, on paper, there were mandatory minimums. The reality of it is that very few people who uh, were found in possession of those weapons uh, actually did the, the, the time that it was on the books. 
that they should have uh, uh, should have done. But there's always been an issue with the gun violence in the city. Uh, it's been managed somewhat much better in the, over the past uh, 15 years or so. Um, but it appears that a lot of the old dangers are creeping their way back into the city. And unless you have innovative uh, outside of the box thinking and, and tactics and focus, uh, you can find yourself back into that situation quite rapidly. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, you, you know, I think you might have served at the same time as my godbrother. We're going to have to talk offline. He joined the force, I believe, in 1990 um, during the NYPD. And, you know, Frank, walk us through how you go from if you have from the federal level, from the FBI level, if you have the firearm and you have the magazines, Walk us from there to how you find the person, because, you know, as we understand, this person is a person of interest. That doesn't mean they did it. I think it's very important. We keep showing that man's picture. It doesn't mean he necessarily did it. It means that they're looking to talk to him. But how does the how do these investigations proceed at the federal level since the FBI is helping? What would they be doing right now? Yeah, FBI and ATF, particularly here where the gun is concerned. So there is a treasure. There's a treasure trove that's been found at this crime scene. I mean, the the gas mask is going to have fingerprints, even possibly. Think about taking on and off a gas mask. You're bringing hair and fiber, even perspiration. You're putting your fingers on it. You're leaving a trail. Now let's go to the gun. Again, we've got a Glock brand, so it's not a ghost gun. It's going to have a serial number. It's going to be traced. We heard at the press conference that they don't believe it was stolen, even better. So there's going to be some track record here of where it came from, who purchased it. Um, Fairly easily traced, we hope. Um, The 30-some-odd shell casings found um, on the scene, all, again, going to be tied to the gun, to the person, perhaps through fingerprints, extended magazines. This is going to be a solid prosecution once they find this suspect. But I think there's a there's a larger um, issue going on here, which is we've got New York State. And I, I can tell you, I'll bet you dollars to donuts if we flipped over to another certain network, Joy, they're going to be saying right now, see that? See, New York has these really strict gun laws and see it happened mm-hmm. there. So gun laws are stupid. And so I'm here to tell you that no, no, actually, if you look at the data, states in, in this country that have those stricter gun laws tend to have less gun crime. It's, it's, it's actually, that's the way it works. The problem is when guns enter from somewhere else. And so yes. it's an argument for, for having federal laws across the board to restrict guns to people, only people th- th- who should have them and not those who should not. Indeed. And, and the fact that, you know, the, the, that these, you know, Glocks, these guns have those serial numbers. And in some places you try to be slick and rub it off and try to shave it off. It's in two places on some of these Glocks. Like you can, you can find the, you can trace a gun back to who sold it. Thank God that we have those serial numbers and that it's traceable and that it makes it possible for law enforcement to do their job. And Naveed, you know, I bet if we shift to another network, they're also going to be making some very interesting uh, conversations, obviously about New York. But, you know, but the reality is this is a national crisis um, and gun violence is a national crisis because they aren't saying that when little kids get shot up in school, which is also being done using firearms. So I wonder what the conversation is. Eric Adams wants to make this a national conversation about gun violence. And so let's have, let's, let's give him that, you know, because it is in a, if a state like New York that has very strict rules, I've sat in a grand jury, you will go to jail for having a gun in New York that you're not um, licensed to have. If, if even New York City is dealing with this kind of a crisis, what do the rest of us do? 
Yeah, this is, look, there's, we are in an age of data. And so the idea that we're going to trace this gun back and whoever had it illegally is going to be prosecuted, of course, that's incredibly important. But here's the part we very rarely go after. And that is to look at the data of where that gun came from. Did it come from a gun show? Did it come from one person who habitually happens to have guns stolen from them? And why isn't that person being investigated? And why isn't that person being prosecuted? Why isn't the NYPD going and parking out front of gun shows and starting to take you know license plates down of people who are coming from New York to purchase guns out of state? Look, if we can send NYPD officers out of the country to help in counterterrorism, we should be doing the same here. And you're exactly right. We can talk about federal legislation, but the reality is that we're never going to have universal federal legislation when it comes to, to gun things. And it's going to be up to the cities and the states to solve this. And if New York City is suffering from a proliferation of guns flowing through the iron pipeline, then New York City should be proactive, as Mayor Adams has indicated he would be, in disrupting that iron pipeline, going to the places where those guns are purchased, looking to prosecute people who are, you know, buying guns and then selling them that are used in crimes in New York City. Yeah. It's not just the gun user. We have to go after the gun seller. Maybe we should uh, do like California and start to use those. You can sue someone to get the outcomes you want. Texas plan and start to use that for firearms. And California's innovating that. We should think about it. Mark Claxton, Frank Figluzzi, Naveed Jamali. Appreciate y'all. Be right back.
That's tonight's readout. When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com app.